do you view your own success? Are you leading with compassion or are you considered ruthless? There is plenty of room for both types of leaders, but the best way to lead successfully is to balance boldness and integrity, using kindness and compassion to earn respect. Combine this with a go-getter, visionary, and aggressive drive to stay competitive. Welcome to the Compassionate Samurai Business Hour with Kathy Fairbanks. We'll use the ideas heard today and in this series to help you use every advantage to achieve the best end result. Now, here's your host, Kathy Fairbanks. Welcome to the Compassionate Samurai Business Hour with your host, Kathy Fairbanks. I am delighted that you've joined us today. You are in for a treat. I'm going to unpackage a little vacation treat that I discovered from a cruise uh, from San Francisco to Hawaii. It was a 15-day cruise, and there was an incredible expert on that cruise by the name of Gordon Dedman, and he is an expert in bushcraft survival. Now, you may be scratching your head a little bit and asking, what does that have to do with business? And what does that really have to do with a compassionate samurai? So we're going to talk about that. I think there's a direct correlation, at least in my life. Sometimes I become a weekend warrior where I'll go out on a three-hour hike or a camping trip or a ski trip. And through setting in Gordon's lectures, I realized that I was prepared to have fun on the hike or the camping trip, or the ski trip, but I wasn't necessarily well prepared if something didn't go right. And so I wanted everybody to have an opportunity to hear Gordon talk about bushcraft survival, really define what it is, and we'll drill down on that. But then also, he's going to gift us with a list of a 10-piece survival kit that ups your probability of getting out of that sticky situation uh, tremendously. So, Gordon, I am thrilled that you're here. Let me give you a little background on Gordon because he has a, a wide variety of background in a mix of skills and interests. Now, Gordon grew up in New South Wales, a small country town Maury. And he spent a lot of time, you can just imagine, camping and fishing and building shelters and making fire. I think he had his hands in the dirt a lot when he was a young man. Now, after he finished high school, he moved on to Sydney, where he attended university. And then he took a little change in his trajectory and received a bachelor in music with an associate diploma in jazz studies. So actually, when I met him on the Prince's cruise ship, he was doing double duty. He had four lectures on bushcraft survival, but then he was also an outstanding trumpet player in the live orchestra that they offer for the entertainment shows. Um, Now, Gordon also went deeper into his bushcraft survival, and he enlisted in the Australian Army Reserve where he successfully completed his commando selection and trained with the company's first commando regiment for a number of years for that country's history. And then Gordon also became a survival instructor for Norforce. And Norforce is an Army Reserve Regional Force Surveillance Unit. And what I find really interesting with this, this Norforce group has also collaborated with the Aboriginal communities to provide the Army with information as through reconnaissance and surveillance and community engagement. And then for the last 10 years, Gordon has been working with Princess Cruises along with Canard Lines as a musician and guest lecturer on their ships. You can just imagine he's traveled the world. Now, when he is landbound, he will work down in Darwin, uh, and he will also, you can also find him at Dave Canterbury's Pathfinder School in the U.S. He's also started a company entitled Bushcraft Survival Australia, and we're going to share with you today how you can take one of Gordon's workshops in Australia, or he'll bring the workshop to you. Gordon, welcome to today's show. Pleasure to be here, Kathy. Thanks very much. 
Yes, you bet. And I want to make sure that the listeners are all set. Grab a pen and and pencil or paper uh, because you will be sharing the 10 items of survival. And I know I took a lot of notes in the lectures as well. And what I found most intriguing about this 10-piece kit was the multiple uses that every single item had. And just knowing that it's multiple uses, that's also a big business concept that we want to gravitate to. So Gordon, share with us, I covered some of your background, but share with us where this passion of bushcraft survival, where did that really ignite for you? Well, Kathy, from a, an early age, I grew up in, you know, as you said, in, in a uh, country town of uh, Australia, uh, Moree. And from an early age, I was out building shelters and fires in the bush. And I had an early passion for Aboriginal culture and how they lived for uh, 50, 60,000 years in, in, uh, in Australia, one of the oldest uh, civilizations on the planet. And um, they weren't just uh, living, or so they weren't just uh, eking out an existence. They were actually um, living very well. And there's lots of lessons we can uh, learn from that in the modern in the modern era. And so I grew up with a fascination for that, and just wondering. And also, what if if something is to go wrong, how would I fare without you know, our modern technology, which is um, sort of sort of stripping our ability to do a lot of things that we've uh, as uh, as a people we've been able to do for, for hundreds of years. But we're losing a lot of that and that connection to the environment and our food sources and all that sort of thing. So. I had an early passion for that as, you know, what what if and if this was to happen. So that's what sort of sparked it early, uh, sparked it off very early. And from there, I, uh, uh, after going to university and I played trumpet as a kid, and uh, it's funny, trumpet's always, a, you know, a musician. You have to be very focused in your, um, your practicing to get to a certain level. And that sort of came hand in hand with bushcraft because all of the skills with which there are a myriad of skills in bushcraft, it's the very similar sort of focus you need to have and, and sort of uh, you need to sort of be multi-purpose yourself to accomplish that. And that led to joining the military in a special forces unit, giving me field craft and then uh, later on in between music um, Coinciding with that, I've sort of done survival and bushcraft courses around the world, leading to where I am today, to starting my own business as well as the, still doing survival with the army. So it's a, it's yes, I guess the passion was developed early on. Wonderful, wonderful. Well, and and certainly from your background, that makes sense. What I'd like to find out too, or make sure that we know as listeners, that bushcraft is more than just survival. So could you kind of build the foundation for us of what the term bushcraft survival really means? Because it's, it's more than just building a fire. What's the concept around bushcraft survival? Well, that's a very good question. It's actually, uh, there is a, a lot of uh, confusion with the two terms. Survival, the word survival um, actually really only was coined oh, not so many years ago with the, pretty much the Rambo movie. So everyone thinks of survival as, you know, running out to the bush and uh, that sort of adventure. And with a lot of uh, programs on telly, they tend to uh, concentrate on the survival aspect. Where in, and that's what we teach in the military. It's how to get out of a survival situation where something's gone wrong, an emergency, a crisis situation, where you have to, um, after immediately surviving that situation, you need to um, affect your own survivability. And it's generally a 72-hour situation. And that's pretty much surviving in any way you can um, to get out of that uh, situation of peril. Beyond 72 hours, it more it turns into uh, long-term survival or long-term self-reliance. Where bushcraft, on the other hand, which is a far more encompassing subject, of which survival is only a small part, bushcraft's all about the um, practical study of nature and, and with limited uh, reliance on equipment. So if you don't have certain kit items, how do you uh, manufacture, manufacture that in nature? And these bushcraft is probably, it's actually the word bush is an Australian term. So as, um, in America, you'd know that as woodscraft or woodsmanship. So a lot of the skills that Indigenous uh, cultures have used around the world for thousands of years would all be, come under that bushcraft blanket, even though it wouldn't be necessarily termed as bushcraft. 
but uh, and that involves say a study of, of botany of say butchery of uh, all sorts of uh, fire making skills shelter building natural navigation using celestial means and uh, solar means to uh, you know being able to procure food make it safe to eat uh, procure water make it safe to drink and um, a whole host of other uh, disciplines uh, which you need to sort, which all come together to form what we know now know as bushcraft, and uh, it's uh, it's the ultimate thing about uh, learning bushcraft is it helps you look after nature because by learning a lot of these skills and someone that's uh, uh, say well adept at the skills in bushcraft in many different uh, areas would obviously be able to perform uh, better in a survival situation, but then that comes down to the mental side and how you uh, cope with stress. So they're they're more linked, but the bushcraft is uh, definitely the most uh, uh, encompassing of the lot, and it's uh, it's, a, it's a very rewarding topic because by learning all those skills, and they're very exciting and fun to learn in their own right, but ultimately you're learning to look after nature and respect it, which is really the whole uh, one of the that's what sort of drew me towards it as well. But it's a it's a fascinating uh, subject area. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's certainly one of the takeaways that I re- I got from your lecture was the environmental impact in a positive way that bushcraft techniques and just the knowledge will have on nature. Um, this past weekend, my husband and I were taking some country roads uh, because of some flooding in uh, Napa, California, in Northern California, and I knew that there was a lovely crystal springs with a pipe that ran down to the road. And there were people there filling their water jugs full of um, the water from the Crystal Springs. And as we drove by, I looked at my husband and I I said to him, well, what would Gordon say about this? How long should we boil the water and how do we know that it's really good to drink? And so uh, it's those types of things that really come into play when you talk about bushcraft survival. So... Let's talk about the relevance of this because, um, and I touched on it in the beginning of the show, bushcraft skills and modern or the industrial world, how do they intersect and why is it important for someone who is, you know, amped up on technology and does the eight to five and the commute home and all of that? Why would some of these skills be important to a modern mechanized world? It's a very good question, Cathy. From a survival point of view, um, anything can go wrong at any time, even in a city. So in the case of, say, natural disaster or just simply the power going out, having the the knowledge of uh, how to, you know, make water safe to drink, to boil it, say, for example, the water stops working or there's a blackout. And in today's climate, um, there's all sorts of things going on and anything can happen at any time, as we all know. And even in a large city, even though you might be in the wilderness, a lot of the principles, our, you know, our shelter, we have the roof over our heads, the clothing we wear, uh, the water we need to drink and the food we need to eat, um, we need to be able to source those things from somewhere and uh, any sort of calamity could happen where um, you can't get to the supermarket or an emergency situation, that's, that's all gone and that's within the space of less than a week that could happen. And uh, so learning those skills are not only helping you... Um, be more self-reliant. The other thing that they they give you is that um, you can actually help you live a lot uh, more cheaply as well, knowing which uh, plants you can eat in your garden. For example, a lot of weeds are very edible and far more nutritious than what we get from the supermarket. So a lot of having a knowledge of those sorts of things can actually uh, make you more self-reliant. And uh, there's lots of places in Australia where people are living off the grid and being able to uh, uh, do things a lot more cheaply and obviously uh, it's helping the environment out a lot as well. Sure, that makes sense. Yeah. But, but um, in terms of bushcraft, uh, the great, obviously, being more long term and, and having a lot more uh, wilderness skills, firstly, the, the study of those skills is very um, uh, enriching and very interesting in its own right, just like any sort of a vocation. And it's also it's almost like a, a practical study of art. And by learning it's about uh, a lot of these natural skills, how to make a fire, and a lot of kids love that uh, that discipline. By learning how to do that, you and learning which uh, which plants you can use, what part of the plant you can use to make cordage, to make fire, to make shelters, to um, you can eat, and all sorts of things. Um, it gives you a very uh, in depth look 
at some of those aspects. And by learning that, as I said, I think the real take-home in today's society with the bushcraft side of things is that it helps young kids learn to appreciate uh, nature and the environment. Of course, uh, we only have one planet, and we need to look after it. And, and in today's world, I think the more people that sort of study bushcraft, A, it's interesting, it's fun, and without even knowing, they sort of um, learn to respect a lot of skills. Some people think that it might be a... Um, using resources in the environment, but by you, 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 it teaches you to use them wisely. But as I said, it's a very interesting subject, and ultimately, it sort of uh, it uh, gets us to respect the planet we're in, and that whether where we live in a city or in a country area, it doesn't matter. Yes, and you know, respecting the planet, we we cannot underscore that enough, especially in today's time. You have been listening to the Compassionate Samurai Business Hour with your host Kathy Fairbanks. Our guest expert Gordon Dedman is going to be back and sharing his ten-piece toolkit for bushcraft survival. Stay tuned for more. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Leadership development isn't limited to people in the executive suites or corporate boardrooms. Employees throughout a company recognize their role in fulfilling the company's mission. Effective leadership is a quality that must be shared by employees from the top down. Clemmer & Associates Corporate Mastery Workshop focuses on key topics to equip each student's development into a highly productive and ethical leader. For more information, visit Clemmer.com. That's K-L-E-M-M-E-R.com. Kathy Fairbanks is available to speak for your event or organization. Kathy is the Director of Client Solutions for Clemmer & Associates Leadership Seminars. Kathy and her corporate team provides experiential training introductions to clients worldwide in order to support them in achieving their desired goals. Put Kathy Fairbanks to work for you. Call 800-577-5447 or send an email to Kathy at clemmer.com. The next step for growth is yours. Call 800-577-5447 or email Kathy at K-L-E-M-M-E-R dot com. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Are listening to the Compassionate Samurai Business Hour. To reach Kathy Fairbanks or her guest today, please call into our program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd rather send an email, the email address is kathy at compassionatesamuraishow.com. Now, back to the Compassionate Samurai Business Hour. Welcome back to the Compassionate Samurai Business Hour. I'm your host, Kathy Fairbanks. Our guest expert today is Gordon Dedman, and he is an expert in the theory, the mindset, and the action practice of bushcraft survival. So, Gordon, share with us today, let's say, uh, I think I might even know the answer to this, but what kind of people get themselves in actual survival situations? What Give us some scenarios of what can go wrong with this. Well... Firstly, a survival situation or a crisis situation can happen to anyone at any time. And most people think that uh, nothing's ever going to happen to them. But the, the uh, group that gets into, the people that actually go into the wilderness uh, with their, the correct kit and, whether, and hopefully they know how to use it before they go into these environments. Um, and it doesn't necessarily have to be a remote one. It's some of these things that happen are close to home. Um, most people run into trouble occasionally, but they're the, the people that are most prone to getting into trouble, particularly um, that, that lose their lives and get stranded and all sorts of things, are the general, the day hiker or the day packer or people that are just going for a drive somewhere, they decided to stop. Uh, they don't tell anyone where they're going. They haven't left a game plan. Um, they're just going for a walk up the hill just, and they'll be gone a few hours. And because of that, they, they don't take the correct clothing, they don't take enough water, they don't take the uh, hat or something like that. And uh, they get lost, or in the uh, Australian art, we would call it being geographically embarrassed. Um, <laughs> they haven't told anyone where they are, and they get themselves turned around. 
they panic and they either walk down a wrong track on the wrong side of a hill, get themselves lost. If it's a cold environment, they, they panic. They're wearing the wrong clothes. They sweat. That clothing becomes wet. They can't dry it out. They don't know how to make a shelter or a fire. And uh, the most common, probably 80% of those people perish from hypothermia, which is heat loss during the night. That's the opposite in heat in Australia, for example. Loads of people, uh, uh, there's all sorts of people. There was a, a, a backpacker in Australia, in northern Australia, who decided to, I'm from the city, uh, go for a jog in the middle of the, uh, the day, which is a bit silly in, in hot temperatures. Didn't tell anyone where he was going. He was only going to go for 20 minutes. Got himself uh, turned around and lost. And three days later, they found him out in the, uh, out in the scrub completely lost to on the verge of death from dehydration and they only found him because he had orange coloured boxer shorts on and he'd stuck them in a tree and the uh, helicopter had spotted the boxer shorts. So moral of the story, wear orange, bright orange coloured boxer shorts if you're going for a job. <laughs> but it, or it's, but this guy was, and that happens all the time, it's, and as I said, it's the people that aren't expecting anything to happen and, uh, and think, oh, I'm only going for a few hours, she'll be right, which is the Australian uh, saying. And they're usually the, the uh, group that run into the most trouble. And that is the world over in hot and cold environments. Well, that certainly makes a lot of sense. And so what does one need to do? And I think you touched upon it a little bit, you know, make sure you tell someone where you're going, what your plan is, when you plan to come back. But what are some of the things that people need to do uh, to prepare for their journey, whether or not it's a day hike or a five-day camping trip? What What are some of the precautions to take before you even set, set foot outdoors? Other than telling someone where you're going when you'll be back, if it's a hot environment, you need to be having enough water, even just for a day. I mean, in a hot climate, you can use, depending on what you're doing, four to five litres of water a day. We use about two litres of water a day just through normal bodily function. So having the correct clothing, what sort of environment are you in? Even just a day hike, having something warm to put on in a bag, having the amount of water, having those correct clothing so you can take a layer off. Um, maybe some sort of shelter, but as I said, shelter begins with the clothing on your back. Most people perish of the hypothermia or hyperthermia because of clothing alone. So having the correct clothing, uh, shelter, water, and a, and a head, some sort of head covering, particularly if it's cold, you use lose and gains uh, 70% of the, your body heat through your head and neck. So you need to either protect from the sun or um, protect from the, um, losing that heat through something warm on your head. Those two things alone would be very, very important. So just being prepared. And, of course, if it's a vehicle, most people get there via a vehicle and having some knowledge of mechanics. So if the vehicle breaks down, you need to know how to, what, you, what you have to do. People have perished on the side of the road changing a tyre, um, either not being able to do such a thing and in hot, arid environments and succumb to heat exhaustion during the day changing a tyre. And just having some knowledge of the environment you're going into. Just, it's, um, I'd like to say common sense, but sometimes uh, common sense isn't that common. So <laughs> it's, uh, it's a matter of, yeah, doing a bit of research about where you're going and not being too blasé because anything can happen to anyone at any time. Yeah, that's certainly, yeah, I, I hear that. I hear you loud and clear. Um, I know in the lecture that I attended, you shared with us a brilliant acronym of STOP. Could you share with us a little bit of what each one of those letters stand for? Because that's something that I've been able to kind of put in my brain and know, okay, this this actually works in business as well as wilderness or bushcraft survival. So what does the S stand for? In stop, the S stands for stop, stop what you're doing. And that could be, so let's use an example, just simply someone getting a flat tyre um, on their car and it could happen in a hot environment. You could be not necessarily going to, you know, hike something. You could be in between um, very hot areas in the States, um, Arizona somewhere and out on a small road and you've broken down in the middle of the day. And... Some people, people have perished by trying to change it. They've got no water, they're dehydrated, and they've tried to change a tyre in the middle of the day. And, of course, you've got the, the, the asphalt road, which has been collecting heat all day and very, very hot. And, uh, and they've tried to change a tyre, and they've, people have died beside their, their vehicle from being high dehydrated, not being able to change the tyre. So stop me, stop what you're doing. It may mean go and sit down, create some shade, and it may mean you have to wait two hours to change that tyre when the temperature's cooler. 
and or um, everything you do has a, equal, a positive or a negative outcome. So you could be expending more energy than what, what you have and what you're able to replenish, say, in the case of water. So it means stop what you're doing and uh, take five off and just all 10, 15 minutes. If you've got some water, go and have a sip of water under some trees, if there's any trees and just take stock of the situation. So that's important. Most people don't stop and they run around like a chook with their head cut off, which is what we call a chicken in Australia, and panic, (laughs) and they don't do the one thing, which is stopping and and thinking for a second. Gotcha. So you've kind of covered the T for think. What about the O in stop? The O um, could be twofold. It could stand for organise. Well, it could be orientate. So stop, think, think about your situation. And if you can, if you, in the case of someone that's lost, you would need to orientate and find out where you are. In a wilderness situation, uh, knowing where you are is one of the biggest things because people get lost because they don't know where they are or they don't know where they need to get to and they continually run around trying to find where they are without stopping to think about what the situation is. So if you, if you can't find where you are, you can fan out 100 metres in, in every direction, stopping at your last known point. Where, when you realise you're lost, you should stop in that place. Then fan out in all um, compass directions, four directions, say 50 metres, coming back to that last known spot each time until you, you, you find something you recognise. You may not be able to find anything, and that might mean you have to stay there. And, a set, and then organise yourself to what you're going to do next, which would then lead to our final um, part of the acronym plan. So stop, think, orientate yourself, which if you can't, um, you then have to make a plan. And that plan may well be you have to stay there the night. You may need to make a fire if you know how and if you have the means to do so. You may have to make a shelter. What can you use in the car to help you out if the car's broken down? How can you signal for help? Your plan might be it's too late in the day and uh, I'm not going to run around and put myself in greater danger. I'm going to wait till the morning. I'm then going to climb this uh, high point that I can see and uh, I know I won't be able to make it before dark, so I'm going to do that in the morning when I can see. And it means I have to stay the night and wait for that opportunity and that would be our plan. I love it. I love it. Well, let's talk about some of the top five to ten items that you should bring with you at all times when you're when you're out and about and why these items are important, because I want to make sure we get our list of ten in um, for this show. So what would be the first item in your toolkit that you recommend? Well, this, these 10 items from the 10-piece kit, it's an old uh, uh, military sort of concept, which is further developed by uh, Dave Canterbury from the Pathfinder School in the US. And they predominantly use this, and we use this at our school as well. So, and it's a, there are many survival kits available around the world and things you buy in you know, shops, and a lot of them are gimmicks. But this concentrates on 10 items, the first five particularly the most important because we use them in every day of our lives. And the first five are the most important because they are the most time-consuming to produce in nature. And the reason why we're concentrating on these 10 and five is that by knowing what you need to have also gives you the knowledge of what to do and what to manufacture if you don't have them because, let's face it, when things happen unexpectedly and and when something goes wrong, you generally mightn't have you generally don't have the, the things that you've planned to have unless you're ultra organised. So then you need to know how do I make those things in nature. So those items being from one to ten, uh, the first one will be a knife. Number two, then some form of com- combustion device. Combustion device. Three would be a um, a covering of some description, which could mean your clothing. Four would be a container, a metal container. Five was cordage. Number six, a compass. Number seven is uh, some cloth or cotton bandana, 100% cotton. Uh, Eight would be uh, some form of duct tape or uh, 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 cargo tape. Nine would be a head torch or some sort of form of candling device. And number 10 could be a cloth sail needle or, um, say, a mini first aid kit. And uh, we can go in to have a look at what each of those things are specifically used for. All right. So we will do that at our next 
break. We'll get into those 10 items a little bit in more detail. And I I remember from your lecture, there was an amazing statistic uh, around the rule of three. And I was not accurate with the amount of time um, from the air, the shelter, the water, and the food. So share with us how the number three comes into play with each one of those uh, from air, shelter, water, and food. Well, as far as having those items, that 10-piece kit is built around what we call our survival priorities, which come from a thing which is a military concept, again, called the, the rule of threes. And once again, this is an arbitrary rule. And basically, in short, it stands for three minutes without air, three hours without shelter, three days without water, and three weeks without food. The three minutes without air is immediate life-threatening first aid. If you don't get your first aid or any emergency crisis situation uh, handled as far as first aid and life support systems, uh, nothing else is going to matter. So if you're not breathing, doesn't matter what survival skills you know or what kit you have, you're not going to be around too long. So first aid is, is number one, having a knowledge of first aid. Everyone should have some sort of first aid training, no matter what you do in life. That's very, very important, not just for your own being, but being obviously being able to help other people. Uh, three hours without shelter. Now, in a cold environment, particularly in the, you know, up in Canada and, and, and the northern states and further down south in Australia, cold environments, if you don't have a shelter, um, that three hours could be 30 minutes. The blizzard. So shelter begins with the clothing on your back, and if you don't don't have the ability to make um to have the correct shelter with you, need to make it nature. So that's number two. Number uh, three hours for three days without water. Sorry, water is particularly important. We need water every day. We use two liters of water a day just in normal bodily function. So if we don't, if we lose water, we have to be able to replace it. So in my area in northern Australia, when I'm working with Norforce and things like that, those three days without water can be three hours and people have perished in three or four hours from um, in extreme heat and from not having water. So water's right up there. And last of all is three weeks without food. In a survival situation, food is the last thing in importance of importance. Um, you can go up to three weeks without food Yes, you're going to be depleted of energy, and people have lasted far longer. But in a survival situation, um, you're not going to die after not having food for three weeks, uh, even just a week. There is, you've got no, uh, no problem whatsoever after a few days, and that's why it's not one of the priorities. However, most um, reality-based TV programs show people running out to hunt and things like that as a first thing, but uh, it's certainly not one of the important things, and that's why that comes last in our priorities, and that's the uh, the rule of threes. Well, and I remember the laughter during your lecture while on a cruise ship when you, you mentioned that we could actually go three weeks without food, where clearly on a cruise ship, we're not even going three hours without food. So uh, you've been listening to the Compassionate Samurai Business Hour with your host, Kathy Fairbanks. Gordon Dedman has more to share with us on the psychology uh, of survival and several more tips. And we're going to drill down a little bit more on that 10-piece kit when we come back stay tuned for more from the boardroom to you voice america business network kathy fairbanks is available to speak for your event or organization kathy is the director of client solutions for clemmer and associates leadership seminars kathy and her corporate team provides experiential training introductions to clients worldwide in order to support them in achieving their desired goals put kathy fairbanks to work for you call 800-577-5447 or send an email to kathy at clemmer.com the next step for growth is yours call 800-577-5447 or email kathy at klemmer.com leadership development isn't limited to people in the executive suites or corporate boardrooms employees throughout a company recognize their role in fulfilling the company's mission effective leadership is a quality that must be shared by employees from the top down Clemmer & Associates Corporate Mastery Workshop focuses on key topics to equip each student's development into a highly productive and ethical leader. For more information, visit Clemmer.com. 
That's K-L-E-M-M-E-R.com. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You are listening to the Compassionate Samurai Business Hour. To reach Kathy Fairbanks or her guest today, please call into our program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd rather send an email, the email address is kathy at CompassionateSamuraiShow.com. Now, back to the Compassionate Samurai Business Hour. Welcome back to the Compassionate Samurai Business Hour with your host, Kathy Fairbanks, and our guest expert, Gordon Dedman, on the benefits of bushcraft survival and how that really relates to if we overlay um, some of these survival techniques, the STOP method, and really how that overlays with business, as well as we weekend warriors who go out for our day hikes, our camping trips. So there's a psychological aspect to this, Gordon, and I find it very intriguing, um, where you've spoken a lot about how attitude and mindset and just having that will to live is such an important component of survival. Can you share with us some of the, the seven enemies of survival, just so we're real clear of, of what that comprises? The main, uh, then there's, there's four, that's just like a token amount, but generally pain, cold, thirst, hunger, boredom, fatigue, and loneliness. You could throw stress in there as well, the main contributors. And they're a mixture of physical and uh, emotional uh, uh, and psychological aspects. Right. And I, I, when I first heard you say that, I thought of the, the old uh, Henry Ford quote uh, that goes, whether you think you can or you think you can't, you're right. And I think that's so appropriate in terms of the survival mentality and having that mindset of, okay, I've never built a shelter outdoors before or started a fire or any of of these things, but I know I can do it based upon what's in the toolkit. So it's the mindset is so very important. Um, Let's get back to the toolkit. So I think there are some specific things that you you recommend over and above in terms of what is a good cutting tool and is there a particular, you know, are there brands or is it steel best, aluminum, stainless steel? What What's your, your thought on, on what's the best cutting, cutting tool to take out with you? Well, there is, uh, as I said, it's a, like almost a topic in itself, mm-hmm. but relating that to the, the uh, psychological aspects and with the, the um, first of all, having a knowledge of some of the things to do is going to help you fare a lot better because a lot of people panic and worry. And there's a lot of people that die in the wilderness, even though they've got all of these items, because what lets them down is their mindset and their will to live, their will to sort of push on and pretty much focus their attention to what needs to happen. And, and knowledge, the more you know something about it, obviously knowledge is power as far as um, knowing what to do. And people have perished, as I said, from having kit items but not knowing how to use it. And they've simply given up and they've just lost heart. So there's many different examples. There's good documentaries and movies, in fact, about people that have gone with one guy cutting off his arm because he, with a blunt pocket knife, it was the only way he could get out of a situation, which is quite extreme. But it just shows what people are prepared to do. And people die for far less uh, things like that. So these 10 items are basically to help you fare better if something was to go on. So uh, as far as a cutting tool, the reason why that's number one is that that allows you, with a knife, you can do everything. And if you can only take one tool, that is the most important to, t- uh, to take because we can construct and make things from that. We use a knife all the time, some form of cutting tool device in the house every day, and it simply makes 
life easier. Generally speaking, in a wilderness, you know, people have Victorian ox knives, very good knives, but generally something that's carbon still that allows us to make fire with it, with other sorts of devices, and uh, it makes it easy to resharpen. But we generally want something of fixed, a fixed blade knife, which is we can use it as a, like a mini axe and with a bit of knowledge for patterning, and you can use it in many different ways. But just uh, even just a small pocket knife, knowing how to use it, remembering the size dictates the job, you um, can use a knife for many, many things. And uh, if you don't have a knife, you then have to... How do you make a knife in nature? How do you make a cutting tool? Which then that comes down to a lot of primitive skills of flint mapping and how to manufacture um, some form of cutting tool in nature, which is a whole different skill set indeed. So better to have something like that with you. And multi-tools are a great version, um, great thing, particularly for a city person because it's got pliers and all sorts of other tools in it, which is essential. And if you've got one of those in your glove box um, or something that's accessible, it should be something everyone should take because uh, we all know how often we use a knife throughout the day. Right, exactly. Well, and let's move on. And by the way, I do have that multi-tool in my glove box now. So I didn't right, before I mentioned, but I do now. Um, let's talk about covering because I was amazed when you illustrated the multiple uses of a space blanket um, and what you can even come up with for different ways to from a ground sheet to a blanket reflector. Um, so would you just go over a little bit of what, you know, what would be the ultimate covering? To, to go out with? Well, covering was number three after the combustion device. Three, oh. uh, covering begins with the clothing on your back, having the correct clothing. That's most important. But spoiling that, there are many space blankets on the mar- market, um, which are uh, aluminized mylar developed by NASA, which reflects up 70% of your body heat back to you. But there's great... Um, Blankets, which are reusable space blankets made by a company called Grabber Outdoors. And once again, aluminized mylar on one side, but on the other side, it's like uh, they're much more robust. You can use them as a shelter. They've got grommets to make a shelter out of. You can use it as a blanket, a tablecloth, a moisture barrier against the ground. You can uh, put the silver side out to reflect the heat away from you as well as being radar reflective and uh, or keep the silver side inside with a fire that can keep you warm. There are so many uses, and they're very lightweight, great thing to have in the car, multiple use. They also come in like a sleeping bag uh, configuration, so you can sort of wrap yourself in it, and they really are a lifesaver, and they're multi, multi-use. Everything's multi-use. A common, well, it's a common man's piece of kit is a 55-gallon drum liner. And that is another great piece of kit because a drum liner can be used as um, you can carry water in it, you can stuff it full of grass to make a sleeping bag or make a mattress out of it um, to stop uh, heat loss through conduction to the ground as some sort of mattress and insulated barrier. You can uh, cut a hole in it and use it as a raincoat, which I've done, I'm sure many people have done that, to stop the rain and the wind chill. However, you will um, you can sweat inside it, so it's important to remember not to sweat because uh, sweat, if you're wearing the wrong clothes, uh, clothes stay wet. And uh, so a, a garbage bag, and you can open it up with a few simple knots, such as a sheet band. You can then turn that into a shelter, once again, having a knowledge of knots and things like that. And that can be all done from the car, something on the side of the road, you know, when you need to, even just in day-to-day life. You're stuck outside, you lock your keys in your car, and it's, it's um, pelting down with rain. You've got a garbage bag, geez, how can you make a shelter for yourself just to get out of the rain? I mean, even just in everyday things that aren't survival situations, these skills can help you out. So that's... Uh, that's a shelter for you. If you don't have I love, those things, I Kathy, love the you need to make them in nature. So you'd have to make yeah. a natural shelter out of what you find in nature, but it's very, very time-consuming. So if you don't have that stuff, you need to have a knowledge of how to manufacture that in a bush. Sure. The practicality of this is I, I find very, very exciting when I hear you say it. It's logical, but it's not something it's not my train of thinking, not my normal train of thinking. So what's the best combustion device that, you, that you'd go out there with? Combustion device is number two, because with fire, you can fire out of all the survival skills is the most important thing. And fire is equivalent to our electricity. Back on shelter, we live in a shelter every day, our clothing, that we would die without shelter. And fire is the same way. Fire gives us warmth. It allows us to boil and cook our food. It allows us to dispel, um, you know, gives us a light source. It's a heat source. 
it's a form of morale and anyone that goes camping and looks at you know mm. talking around the campfire it's mesmerizing and it's really probably what defines us as being human i guess because uh, um all the animals on the planet uh, we're the only species that have actually um, manufactured fire. Other animals carry it and, and, and create fires. There's actually a, 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 a kite in Australia that will pick up a burning stick and go and drop it in a dry area from a bushfire to flush out animals to create fire. But it's still we're the only species that make have made fire from scratch. And hence, our electricity is our fire. So in a wilderness situation, your ability to do that is very important and a lot of people don't know how to manage a fire once they've got it going and if you've only got one match or you've got hypothermia and you can't actually light that match how do you do it from nature and that comes down to a knowledge of friction fire and all of those things but having a ferrocium rod or it's the greatest a mixture of alloys and magnesium is a great tool to have and you've got thousands of strikes out of that you just need a 90 degree angle to uh, uh, produce sparks but you need to have a knowledge of tinder because Cigarette lighters and things like that fail when they're wet and cold. So you need to have a backup. So but primarily a knowledge of how to make a fire and manage it is absolutely essential because with that one thing, you can affect your survivability almost on its own without some of the other aspects. Fantastic. Fantastic. Well, I want to change gears a little bit and and, uh, have a reminder for everyone further down on the list. You want to have a tainer, a stainless steel water bottle. You want to have cordage uh, that you can use for fishing line or even suturing or help you build your shelter, a compass, and then good old uh, duct tape, one or, or two inch duct tape, a bandana that you can use as a sling or head covering, uh, or water filter or strainer, a towel. I mean, that bandana is multiple, multiple uses. Uh, and then a torch and a first aid kit. So that's your kit. I wish we could go on for a long time uh, talking about this. But I want to move on to a couple other things in terms of what would you say? I have just seem to notice that there's many similarities between the study of bushcraft and the principles of Bushido. So from your perspective, what, what are some of those similarities? Well, having from an early age also been interested in martial arts and I did lots of jiu-jitsu as a kid and right through kickboxing and different forms of martial arts to a high level, I was fascinated in Japanese culture early on. And all the, the, the focus, the, particularly the focus, and even as a musician, the focus you need to have to, um, to become good at something without sort of, um, you know, life's distractions around it. Bushcraft, I find very similar with that mindset because uh, you're really just training against yourself. It's not a really a competitive thing about anyone else. It's about your own knowledge. And uh, it's, yeah, it's focus is probably the, the biggest one, but also... Bushcraft is about caring and pretty much serving the environment. You're looking after the environment through collecting a, a group of skills and practicing those skills. So it's helping you look after the environment, which we all depend on, which is so it's helping everyone really. And if everyone did that, we would find we would probably live in a very a planet that would be quite vastly different. And with the samurai's principle, particularly Bushido, and obviously serving their whole life was geared towards serving others. And but also, you know, they knew, you know, they had a without um, being subservient, they were very directed and very focused with their goals. And um, I find that Bush with with compassion for for those around them, as well as being some of the the, the best warriors the world's ever seen. And to have those two, it's almost the yin and yang there. It's a two great sort of ways to live. And I find with a lot of those skills um, and attitude, bushcraft is, is right up there with them. And a lot of the, uh, I've always found that, and indeed a lot of uh, good bushcraft teachers around the world, strangely enough, are, um, do lots of judo, jiu-jitsu, karate and all sorts of things because of the discipline. It's the mindset is very similar. Well, thank you for sharing that. Um, one of the things that you've done now is open a school and you have courses. Would you share with us um, not only your website, but definitely share your website, but talk to us a little bit about your school, uh, who some of the students may be. Do you cater to the younger group, the teen group, the my age group? You know, what, uh, where does the school serve and what kind of courses could someone take from you? 
Well, the name of this school, Cathy, is Bushcraft Survival Australia, and I've sort of uh, I've travelled and done trained at a lot of different schools around the world and taken a lot from what I've seen around the world. There's lots of military experience and compressed it into uh, my version. And uh, but what it is, we get we offer basic bushcraft survival courses. The first one's a survival course, very basic skills, how to stay alive in the bush, which we really concentrate heavily on the ten piece kit. And you know, signalling, signalling for help, and lighting fires, and, and things that are effectively and worked immediate, immediately. We get all sorts of people from all walks of life. People just wanting to, um, not necessarily fair in a survival situation, but just to build self confidence. So people that are just—it's great team building. We do a lot of stuff for um, corporate groups, and I've come over here sometimes to the states to do things because it builds. It's great uh, team building, and it's getting people to think outside the box. And outside a leadership role, because everyone has to contribute. And those courses, once you take away the kit, we go to our intermediate courses, and that's where we take, a, uh, take away the reliance on equipment, which is one of the principles of bushcraft. And then we get into more natural resources, how to make some of those 10-piece kits from um, ideas, the pieces from nature, shelter, fire, uh, cordage, how to boil water if you don't have something to boil, all those sorts of things. And we get into more Indigenous skills. And then to the advanced skills, we actually put it into a, a realistic scenario where it all comes together. And we get people from teachers, uh, we get to a lot, a lot of scientists, all walks of life, a lot of people interested in nature, but we get a lot of family groups as well that want to just bond together as a family to come and learn some skills. And because it's a great bonding experience and just to learn more about nature. And uh, it's yeah, pretty much all age groups. As um, you know, fit and healthy, and we get all sorts. There's sort of no, um, you don't have to. We get people that aren't active. There is a minimum level of fitness required, but uh, really, really, um, all sorts of people. Fantastic. Well, and the best way to really get more information about Gordon and Bushcraft Survival, you would want to go to www.bushcraftsurvival.com. No, bushcraftsurvivalaustralia.com.au. So that's bushcraftsurvivalaustralia.com.au. And check out that website and see the courses. And you've got some lovely photos on uh, your website and some video work. And it's such an intriguing concept. Um, One of the things that I learned about Gordon very quickly, not only does he have the expertise in bushcraft survival, but he truly is a compassionate samurai. So, Gordon, I thank you on being a guest on today's show. And just remember, when you're out there in the world, pursue that life of a compassionate samurai just to set yourself up to be extraordinary in an an ordinary world. Until next week, we say knock them alive. For tuning into our show, you can hear the Compassionate Samurai Business Hour live every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until next week's show, be sure to take action and create your own success.